Over 130,000 children were deported from the UK as part of various child migration schemes. It is estimated that Australia received 7,000 children between 1912 and 1970. Many of these children were sent without the consent or knowledge of their parents. Once in Australia, the children were used for cheap labour and many were abused. In 1987, an English social worker named Margaret Humphreys discovered and then exposed the scheme despite immense pressure from very powerful groups who had a vested interest in it being kept quiet. The new Australian-UK co-production Oranges and Sunshine tells Margaret's story, who is still working to reunite lost family members. I'm now joined by the film's director, Jim Loach. Jim, welcome to Triple R. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now, how did you get hold of this story? What, 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 what compelled you to put Margaret's story into a film? Well, I, I'd read Margaret's book, which is called Empty Cradles, which was published quite a while ago. Um, and uh, I, I read it on the tube on the way home in London, uh, and I got up the next morning and gave her a ring, and, and she was in a, um, she's got an office in Nottingham um, above a sandwich shop, and uh, I, I had a very short conversation, but I persuaded her to let me go and see her. And uh, I went to see her, and she just started to tell me her story, and that's when the film kind of emerged very quickly. Okay, so, uh, so so I gather it was through meeting Margaret that you you, you realised the best way to tell this story was through her investigation, mm. rather than say making a period film in the nineteen forties where you could have actually depicted, you know, the experiences of some of the children. Yeah, because we looked at that, we looked at um, doing it that way, but. I think Rona Munro, who wrote the script, and I were always drawn back to Margaret because she's um, she's a working mum, you know, and so she's got an amazing personal dilemma set against the wider story. You know, she's trying to reunite families, but at the same time she's trying to keep her own together. And so we were really drawn to that. Also, Margaret, to us, quickly became a very heroic figure, very inspirational. Um, she kept going against all the odds, you know, and, and all films need heroes, of course. Um, and and also we felt that to do it in a period way, um, it was a little bit morally simplistic in a way. You know, it, it was just tackling it head on. We felt we needed to come at the whole thing with an angle, you know. Well, how did Margaret respond to this idea? Because I have had the pleasure of meeting her now, and she comes across very much as somebody who sees this almost, this is her day job, and I can't imagine her ever thinking of herself as a hero, even though, I mean, she really is. Yeah, yeah, she was a very reluctant hero, so I had to kind of cajole her into it, and uh, I just sort of badgered her, basically, over a period of several years, and um, and uh, eventually she just gave in. <laughs> I think she was just tired of taking my phone calls, so she just agreed to do it. And she must, of course, also have been thrilled that this was a new opportunity for these stories to be told and to get more recognition to what, what had happened to these children. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the stories we heard were incredible. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the people that were sent here as children all had an incredible story to tell, and, um, and, and they inspired helped inspire a lot of the characters in the film so how did you approach the the filming of these people telling their stories your film has quite a big cast of people who often only have one or two scenes where they tell their story and yet throughout the film it's quite understated without being obtuse i mean you Mm. could have been very Mm. melodramatic and manipulative in this film and Mm. and you didn't in the slightest so i'm curious to know what was your approach to make sure the film maintained the integrity that it has 
Yeah, we, we, we had a big cast and we wanted a kind of sense of behind the two main characters who are played by Hugo Weaving and David Wenham. Behind them, we wanted a sort of a mosaic of smaller parts that gave you a sense of the scale and the breadth of different experiences that people had had. That was kind of the idea. And, um, you know, it, it, it's very, very... Um, emotional material and obviously every scene you sense you could turn up to number 11 um there's no doubt about that and we we wanted to kind of go the other way because we were really interested to explore the characters you know we they they're fascinating people and what's one of the things that struck us about them is that they have um they have recovered their survivors you know they've kept going and they've put themselves back together so it's a deeply inspirational story in that respect and we were interested in how they had done that how they'd managed to come through it and um and you can't do that with just tons of melodrama you need to um you really need to get under the skin of these people yes absolutely i um you mentioned hugo weaving and david wenham who uh both play very different characters and I'm just curious to know to what extent were they based on real people or were they sort of composite characters because they function very effectively in the film to show the contrasting responses. The Hugo Weaving character, Jack, is he's sort of a, a, a bruised soul but a very gentle man who is open to what Margaret is doing where Len is very defensive and a, very difficult to read. W- was that the idea? That was the idea, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, obviously we met lots of people, uh, two people in particular, sort of became very important sources for those characters. And David Wenham actually went to meet um, the guy that had kind of partly, mainly inspired his character in Perth, and they had an extraordinary weekend together. And um, David was very, I know, was very taken with what he'd heard and the experiences he'd had. And, um, and similarly, Hugo met um, his sort of counterpart, if you like, um, and, you know, the the idea really behind David's character in particular was that he was emphatically not a victim. You know, he's not interested in an arm around the shoulder. Um, he's um, uh, he's sort of, on the face of it, he's done very well, you know. Um, so he's sort of quite wealthy and um, quite brash um, and a difficult man initially to warm to. But by the end, hopefully, you, you really understand what's going on for him. I think Australian audiences are very used to seeing Hugo Weaving and David Wenham, but I think they're going to be really uh, wonderfully surprised by just how strong both their performances are in the, in this film. And, of course, the other incredibly strong performance is by Emily Watson, who plays Margaret Humphreys. But unlike Hugo Weaving and David Wenham, Emily Watson quite deliberately didn't want to meet the person she was playing. What? Why, why did she choose to do that as an actor? Um, she... Um God, she changed her mind many times. Well, no, she kept every day she'd come in and say, right, I think we should meet him, meet her. And then the next day she'd say, no, I definitely shouldn't. And uh, I'd be like, oh, my God, Emily, make your mind up. But I think what it was, what it came down to was that she'd she'd played Jacqueline Dupre in Hillary and Jackie, for instance. And I think she would say she slightly had her fingers burnt on, on playing the real people thing. And she also was sort of aiming, obviously, at a wider truth, obviously, than a kind of narrow impersonation. Um, so those two things, um, and, and, you know, so we were really, I think she made a good decision, really. Well, it's, it's remarkable how well she captured the character, nevertheless. Mm. Yeah, she uh, did a lot of research, obviously. I mean, she watched a lot of tapes of Margaret, and, and obviously she, she did a lot of research around 
trying to inhabit the role of a social worker. I mean, I always felt that it wasn't really necessary to meet Margaret because really Emily's um, like a detective, you know, and and so really she started at the beginning and she's just peeling back the layers of the onion and, and finding out as she goes along. So it wasn't necessary for her to have um, the sum of knowledge that she has at the end of the film. Was there, when, when, when filming some of the more emotional scenes, did you do sort of several takes to capture a range of, of responses? Um, we probably, yeah, we did. I mean, we, we did, um, uh, I'm just trying to remember because my memory is like a sieve, so I can never really remember what we did. But we, I mean, we, we tended to have a very kind of focused time on when we were actually turning over. So we, we would... Uh, work out exactly what we wanted to do and we'd work work around the scene and improvise elements of the scene that were happening off off screen if you like and we'd combine elements of of different scenes um it was really trying to find the kind of truest emotional response on camera obviously and to do that you kind of need to you need to be in exactly the right place emotionally and physically and everything around you needs to be as true as it possibly can be. Now, as we see in the film, the UK government and some very powerful organisations at the time that Margaret was investigating what had happened and starting to reunite families were really strongly opposed to what she was doing and, um, you know, they obviously had something to hide and they were roadblocking her. She was being intimidated by people. Yet while making the film, both the Australian government in the end of 2009 and the UK government a few months later at the start of 2010 issued formal apologies. So I'm, I'm just fascinated to know if that had any impact on, on the film or to the broader extent to Margaret's work. Um, I think it had a huge impact for Margaret and obviously and, and, you know, very importantly for the real people involved, it had a massive impact for them. Um, and for the film, it had an impact too because it was quite strange really because, of course, we were shooting away and it, at the kind of coal face, you know, you're a camera and actors and, you know, you're, you're often in quite an intimate scene um, and you had a sense outside the room of kind of world events kind of moving on. You know, so it was quite quite strange, really. It gave everybody a, a sense of how precious the story was that we were telling, um, and it was an extraordinary, very heightened time. Yeah. Now, without giving it too much away about the film, there's quite an extraordinary scene towards the end where uh, the Margaret character goes to this property in Bindoon, where many of the children were sent and basically endured slave labour. It's um, a very sort of, uh, I suppose, um, there's a great sense of place in this scene. I'm wondering, did you actually go to the Bindoon property? Did you get permission to film there? We didn't, unfortunately. We did ask them several times uh, and we got a bunch of excuses and then eventually they said no. Um, they asked to read the script, uh, amongst other things, which we, obviously we weren't going to do. And um, I mean, we, we went round several times. Um, we just hopped over the fence probably shouldn't say that should i but <laughs> so, never mind i have now we hopped over the fence and uh sort of uh, and we were shown around by a couple of people that had been there and it was an incredible day really memorable it helped kind of um helped inspire the end of the film really but we had to recreate it um we had lots of different locations and then we had some cgi and all sorts of things to try and recreate the spirit of the place which was what we were after 
Wow, it's remarkably uh, effective when watching the film. I assume that you somehow miraculously got permission. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and it, it, just sort of following on, on, on from that, and to sort of finish up our conversation, it, it, it is sort, of, it is the climax of the film, and yet quite early, uh, a few scenes before this moment, we get a sequence where Margaret talks to Len. And, and, and basically warns him about don't expect you're going to get some sense of closure or catharsis. And it does capture the idea that this story is still going. And yet that sequence does sort of provide a sense of catharsis, but in the non-Hollywood sense. And, and the broader question I was going to ask is, does the very fact that this film has been made and has been well-received and that's being seen by people, is that possibly some element of catharsis? It could be. I hope so. Yeah, no, I hope so. I mean, it, it, it certainly could be. And, and some um, people we've spoken to have said that to us. I mean, it, it's difficult um, in a way because, of course, I'm wary of speaking for them because they'll kind of they'll make their own judgments. And, of course, everyone has their own opinion. It's a film. You know, everybody sees a different film in a way. So, But I, I hope it does. I mean, audiences that have seen it um, so far and definitely uh, in Britain – um, they take it as a very inspirational story and they take it as a sort of story about everybody because everyone's got mums and dads and families and everyone can imagine what it would be like to be dislocated from them and to try and repair their relationships and that's kind of what it's about really. We've been speaking to Jim Loach, the director of Oranges and Sunshine. Jim, it really is a remarkable film. I think it's wonderful that a film with such a strong social conscience and message also works so effectively as a piece of, of drama, of entertainment. Congratulations and thank you so much for speaking with me today on Film Buffs Forecast. Thank you very much.